Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading will be taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 1 to 11. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And you are to please respond by saying, thanks be to God. That is Psalm 16, verse 1 to 11. I read, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello City Church. This is Jeremiah Morris greeting you from Houston, Texas. This is actually the, the makeshift recording studio in the downstairs of our office where we meet. Uh, and for the last 23 Sundays, I've stood and preached to the camera like this. And it is a distinct privilege and a pleasure that Femi reached out to me and asked that I might, I might speak to you. I am really sad that the current lay of the land is going to prevent me from being with you in November as I had hoped to be, and so this opportunity is a stand-in, an attempt to send the love of our congregation at Seven Mile Road, Houston, and the love from me particularly to you. We pray for you, and we think about you, and we are with you, especially in a season like the one that we are in, and so... I'm delighted to get to address you today and to open the scriptures with you. And I come bearing really great news, like great news. And it's this, City Church, God is committed, like deeply committed with all of his divine energy and power and goodness. He is committed to your full and everlasting joy. 
I know that right now you're studying what it means to have deepening intimacy with God, and I have the great privilege of getting to open a chapter of Scripture with you that is going to convince us and speak to us that the God on high is committed to the fullness of your joy. He is for your everlasting joy. And the challenge that this psalm is going to address and meet us in the midst of is this, that life is hard. There are twists and there are turns and there are global pandemics that set the world screeching to a halt. There is unrest and there is heartache. And what we are going to see as we study Psalm 16, a psalm of David, the the mitcom, uh, the golden psalm, as it were, that as we study this one together, we're going to see that it starts in the moment of of heartache. In verse 1, what we're going to see is that all he can say is, preserve me, oh God. He's starting from a moment of unrest and struggle, and then he's going to journey right into the fullness and the totality of his joy because God is committed to your joy. And so, Today, what we're going to realize is that because God is committed to our joy, we're going to realize that if we hide away in God, we will find real joy. If we hide away in God, we will find real joy. So we're going to study this chapter together, and and as we do, we're going to try to explore a few different things. One, what does it really mean to hide away in God? That feels so ethereal and slippery, but this text will begin to show us How David, one who loved God with the whole of his heart, how he began to understand what it is to hide away in God. And this text will answer the question for us, well, what does does real joy look like? If we hide away in God, we'll have real joy. Well, what does real joy look like? And then lastly, before we're done, we'll see why is it that God can deliver that sort of joy to us? So with that being said, I'm going to invite you to Open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 16. And uh, just before I read this text to you, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. When we survey the landscape, everything is moving towards chaos and towards death. We even feel it in our very bones. We are coming undone. But when we come to the Word of God, we're in touch with something eternal and life-giving and powerful. City Church, we would be really wise to pay attention to the Word of God this morning together. Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's as if the psalmist is saying, starting by just saying, Help! That's the place where he starts, but then let's, let's watch as he goes on this journey. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And as for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And in the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also 
dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, in this psalm, David is beginning to to wrestle with. He's moving from the cry of help at the outset to the fullness of joy at the conclusion, and he's going to show us how we move from one to the other. How do we move from the moments of of unrest and chaos, like the moment that we find ourselves in culturally, and move through intimacy with God into a place of the fullness of joy? Well, the first reality is that we're going to we're going to have to wrestle with is how is it that we can hide ourselves away in God, take refuge in God? And I think in verses two through eight, he's going to spell out for us. He's going to sketch out for us how we actually functionally hide ourselves away in God. The first thing that we're going to see in verse two is this. How do you hide away in God? You make it personal. You make it personal. Look at verse two with me. He said, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, I want you to look at the first Lord and the second Lord as it's printed in your Bible. Look at it. What's different between the two? Do you see a difference the way that it's printed? What you'll, what you'll notice is if you look closely, the first Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. The second Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. What's he doing here? What is this, what is this showing us in this English text? Well, it's showing us that behind it in the Hebrew, two different words are being used for Lord, Yahweh and Adonai. He's saying, I'm saying to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of of Jacob, of our fathers from before, the the covenant-keeping God who is grand and glorious and over all time and all people, Yahweh, the good and faithful God, I say to you, you are my Adonai, my personal Lord. You're the one who directs my steps that I am intimately connected to and responding, saying, yes, sir, if you send me there, I'll go there. If you call of me in that way, I will respond in that way. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He is making it really personal here. And it reminds me of a conversation I had some years back. I was sitting in in an outdoor cafe in Miami, Florida, looking out at the water. It's a beautiful place. I was sitting with a few friends, and a waitress uh, started a conversation. We were kind of talking, and, and it, this is one of the kind of the hazards of, of being a preacher man, is that when it comes up, hey, well, what do you do for a living? You know that the conversation's going to get interesting. And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually a preacher. I, I tell people about Jesus, and I, I work in the life of a church. And, and she said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I like the idea of God. I'm all for God. But it's when we start giving him specific names. We say, well, it's this God versus that God. She said, that's what divides and creates all the problems in the world. And so I'm for God in general, but this whole like giving God a name thing, she said, I'm out on that. I said, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can feel with you the the pain of division and struggle between worldviews, but can I tell you why I I totally disagree with the sense that, that having a name for God is where things go wrong? And she was kind of quizzical, surprised that I would 
so, so clearly disagree with her. And she said, well, yeah, yeah, t tell me what you think. And I said, well, let me say this. I spent a lot of years with the idea of a companion or a wife. And it was like this really beautiful, shining idea in my mind of, of capital W, wife. You know, like uh, that I, I look forward to having a companion that I can love. And that idea was really enticing, but it was distant and it was ethereal and it didn't make much difference in my life. And I said, but then I met my Ashley, my Ashley. And as I got to know her personality and her character and our lives, slowly drew into one and we made promises to one another and became husband and wife, this idea of wife becoming very personalized, where I knew character and makeup, it changed my life. And I said, friend, if I could just be so bold to say, if God is real and he has a name and he wants to know you and love you, what sadness that he would remain distant and just a distant ideal out on the horizon. I said, he does have a name and he does want to know you and walk with you. Please know that when you know his name and you finally realize that he knows your name, that's not when things go awry, that's when things finally ignite. That's when they become powerful. You see, the, the first step to hiding away in God is making it personal calling him by name, folding into him. You see, it's not some glorious, over-the-top power. It's, it's not like this distant act. It just starts with words, with a declaration, something that has happened in the heart that becomes words. And for David, it was saying, I say to you, the distant Lord, you are my Lord. You're my King. The first way that we begin to hide away in God is that we say to him, I want you to be my Lord. And just before we move on, I just want to say this. There's a God of the universe. If you're new to this whole thing, if you're just tuning in, just connecting with City Church, let me say that there's a true God over all who knows you by name and is calling to you. And the first way that you begin to move from your cry of help into the fullness of your joy is with words. To say, I declare to you, the Lord of all, you are my Lord. You see, we must make it personal. But that's not all. David continues on a journey and he's showing us what does it mean to take refuge in God. In verse 3 and 4, we see that the, the second way we hide away in God is that we make it communal. We make it communal. He says this, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. David is, is not just having a personal encounter with God, but then he looks around and he says, the saints in the land, all of my delight is in the saints. What does he mean by saints? Well, we, we just need to recognize that when the scriptures talk about saints, it's not just talking about people like, like Mother Teresa, someone who has received sainthood from the 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 church, from the Catholic church. This is a saint. But, but the scriptures are talking about someone that, that loves God and is a part of the believing covenant community. That they, because they are marked out by God's character and grace, are saints in his sight. And David says, those people, those people who have trusted you, God, and are a part of the community, they are my delight. 
He is making this journey with God communal. My, my granddaddy, that's what we called him, my dad's dad, was from East Texas, which I don't expect that you're familiar with that, but that's like country. It's way out in the woods, and it's, it's country Texas. And he, because he grew up in a time of the Great Depression in the United States in the 1920s and 30s, he only had a sixth grade education because he had to go to work right away. And he worked on, on trains. He was a conductor on trains for 40 years. And he used to tell my dad, and, and he used to tell his grandchildren as well, this, this beautiful wisdom from granddaddy. He used to say, you are going to be the company you keep. That's what he told us all the time. You're going to be the company you keep. He means the people that you surround yourself with, that you delight in and spend your time with, that you share your heart with, they will have a marked influence on your life and you will end up looking like them. You know, my granddaddy was right. And this is why David knows that part of hiding himself away in God is delighting in proper community, loving the Christian brothers and sisters that he has been called to. That's, what, that's how we begin to experience this, to actually give ourselves to covenanted community. Like honestly, truly, deeply, not superficially, not with a nod and a smile only on a, on a Sunday morning when we're in Sunday best, but truly leaning in, confessing sin, sharing sorrows and celebrations and starting to feel our hearts knit together. This takes time. This takes a decision. This takes us saying, as for the saints in the land, I'm going to delight in them, give myself away to them. City Church, now more than ever, we need this. This pandemic has pressed us back into homes. It has divided and separated us. Uh, we, have, we have had to interact via technology and cameras like this, and, and we may end up feeling really lonely and divided. And I would just encourage you right now, now is the time to lean in with renewed energy, renewed urgency. If we're going to experience the benefits of hiding away in God, we have to make it communal. And so as it stands right now, gospel communities are available through online means. If you have not connected with a gospel community, I would say now is the time. You can email Emmanuel and he will connect you to a gospel community. And that is a space where I would invite you in this season, lean in with greater honesty. Don't, don't pretend, don't posture, delight in the saints and know that we need a safe place because verse 4 showed us that if we're delighting anywhere else, if we're running to any other sort of community or people, it says that their sorrows multiply. Their sorrows multiply, that, that not being hidden away in the Lord with community will leave us exposed. And right now, if ever, we need to experience what it means to make it personal and make it communal. But that's not it. The last note on how do we hide away in God comes in verses 5 through 8. And I would summarize it in this way. Just before we read the verses, I'd say this. We have to feast on the Lord. Feast on Him. We make it personal, we make it communal, and then we begin to feast. Look at verses 5 through 8 with me. It says this, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
you hold my lot. David moves from speaking in the third person to the second person in the middle of the sentence. He's going, he's my chosen portion, my cup. And it's as if he looks up and he catches God's gaze and he says, you, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In verses 5 through 8, he's, he's painting a picture of what it means to feast on the Lord, to be all in with the presence of God. Did you hear it in phrases? He calls him my chosen portion, my cup, my lot. He says, the lines have fallen for me in beautiful places. The Lord gives me counsel all night long. Even my heart is instructing me. The Lord is always before me. This is language of making God so supreme and central in one's sight that it feels like they're feasting on him at all times. Even that language, the idea of saying, this is my chosen portion in my cup. The idea is being at like a great restaurant or a, a, a buffet where there's great food options in front of you and saying, this is what I choose. I remember when I was in Nigeria traveling with Femi, what a, what a joy it was to be hosted by him. So hospitable, so gracious. He took me to several different great restaurants and we had meals where there was food set out before us. And I learned pretty early on that I had a chosen portion jollof rice and suya, like any meal. I'd say, well, well, Femi, will this restaurant have, have some good suya? And he's like, well, of course. Yes, they will have suya. Jollof rice and suya. I wanted a plate heaping with, with these meals. That is my chosen portion. The idea is that he's saying, I have surveyed the menu. I've surveyed the buffet line, and I'll tell you what I'm going to feast on. I'm going to I'm going to feast on you, Lord. You are my chosen portion. And not just my food, but you're my cup. I'm going to fill up the cup. You are my food and my drink. You are what satisfies me when I'm famished. He's saying feast on the Lord to the point where he's always before you, where even at night your heart instructs you. This is the sort of person that has been meditating on God's word throughout the day. Maybe they carry a verse in a pocket that they're looking at. Maybe they check, they've got one on their phone that they're memorizing out of their time and the, and the word in the morning that was, that was set aside and diligent, soaking in God's word. They've been praying it back to themselves throughout the day that this person is so fascinated with God's character. They so badly want to walk closely with Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit that when they lay down to sleep at night and something startles them and they wake in the dark, in that moment, their heart is so full of God that it speaks back to them. He says, my heart counsels me in the night because I'm all in with you. I have feasted on you. You see, if we're going to hide away in God, it has to be personal and it has to be communal. But you have to say, I am going to, I'm going to set a plan, an approach to say, this is my chosen portion. We will not experience the joys of being delivered from help to joy if we don't understand what it is to feast on the Lord. So brothers and sisters, I would just encourage you, I would challenge you, what does it look like in this, in this season for you to, to have a, a steady diet of word and prayer? To, to read with pen in hand and to, to think about what you're reading and to soak in it. 
and to pray it into your life, to commend it to the saints around you, to have holy dialogue with people in gospel community and when just connecting them with them, that, that all of a sudden stirring one another's hearts up, that in that place where we begin to live in that way, he comes by to the tail end of verse 8 and he says, because he is always before me and at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He has arrived at an answer to his original request. He showed up saying, preserve me. He feels like everything is shaking, but by verse 8, he has arrived at this place. Ah, I shall not be shaken. I have hidden myself away in God, and I shall not be shaken. But beautifully and interestingly, he came wanting to just be preserved. And he has prayed himself from unrest into preservation by making it personal and making it communal and, and as it were, feasting on the presence of God. This is what it means to hide ourselves away in God. But that's not where the psalm ends. <laughs> and this is where it opens up into such beautiful, glorious vistas for us. This is not where the psalm ends because what we see is this. When we hide ourselves away in God, he doesn't just preserve us. He delivers us real joy. Capital R, capital E, capital A, capital L. Real joy. So what does that mean? What is the sort of joy that he delivers for us? What does real joy look like? Look back at the text with me at verse 9. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This describes what real joy looks like. And there's two notes that emerge from this verse. The first is this. It looks like dizzying gladness. Dizzying gladness. Why do I say that? Well, the, the Hebrew term, when he says that my whole being, he's saying every part of me rejoices, but the Hebrew term for rejoices literally means spins in circles. That's what it means. My whole being rejoices. And it's, it's actually one of, my, one of my favorite pastimes with my boys. I've got three boys, uh, nine, seven, and three. And there, with some regularity, we'll be playing outside and we'll end up in our front yard and we say, okay, pick a spot in the sky and look straight up, put your arms out and start spinning. And we will spin and spin and spin until all of a sudden we're done and we start doing this number. We're trying to find the horizon. Everything looks different. Everything feels different because everything, my perspective on life has been changed because I've been spun into a different state. That's the word that David uses. That after he has prayed himself into this space of hiding away in God, he goes, oh God, my heart is glad and my whole being is spun around in joy. You deliver dizzying gladness. A few years back, I got to spend time with a spiritual hero, a guy that had been a hero from a distance. He's in his mid-80s. He's been walking with the Lord and in ministry for almost six decades. He's got a shock of white hair and those kind of deep wrinkle lines that show a man that has smiled and laughed through all of the challenges and the heartaches of life. And he, even well into his 80s, is joyful and he's active and he's urgent and he's on the adventure, continuing to give himself relationally to younger pastors, continuing to nurture up the next generation of leaders. And when I was with him, I thought, oh, 
I want that sort of dizzying joy. The sort of joy that spins your soul and keeps you active and urgent to the end. The sort of joy that is satisfying and draws out of you the very best. That this is the dizzying gladness of having a whole being that rejoices. You see, but that's not all. The second part of that verse, the second half of the verse said, uh, my flesh also dwells secure. Now, isn't that interesting? Because honestly, if, if, if we're honest, oftentimes in our minds, we have dizzying joy and gladness pitted against security and safety. They feel like two different things on two different tracks going in two different directions, do they not? That if I really pursue my joy and I'm spun around in joy, I'm going to be exposed and I'm no longer going to be safe and secure. And so I'm just going to take the conservative route and I'm going to, I'm going to keep my flesh secure and safe. But in that secure and safe, we think certainly I'm not going to be spun around in joy. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God and all of his glory and goodness, when we hide away in him, simultaneously delivers both. He is the one who can spin you around in joy while keeping you safe in the palm of his hand. It reminds me of a trip with my family. We went to a place called Durango, Colorado, tall, beautiful, glorious mountains. And we were out exploring together. And at the time, my oldest son was maybe six or seven years old. And, uh, and as we were out exploring, we came from the, from the road, we could see that there was actually a, a way to climb way down into a valley. And it was running alongside of a waterfall that was rushing down from a mountaintop. And so we were looking down and there was big wet rocks and tough climbing. And we were looking down and he and I started to hatch this plan. We were standing and we were looking down and he said, Dad, do you think we can make it all the way down to the bottom? And I was like, I don't know, buddy, but I know that the view from down there would be amazing. He's like, do you think we should try? I was like, I think we should try. I said, Dad, I don't know. I'm kind of scared. I'm not sure. I said, Finn, I think we ought to do this together. He said, okay. And so what we did is I would climb down one big boulder or one big rock, and then I would turn to him and I'd say, okay, buddy, come on, come with me. And I'd get him, and we had points where we had to get around and climb on all fours. And at one point, he slipped and he cut his knee on a rock, skinned it. He was holding his knee and, and he said, it's okay, Dad, it's okay. I can keep going. I can keep going. And we made it all the way down to the bottom and we got to the very bottom and we looked back up and there was this waterfall rushing down and mountains all behind. And in this moment, he and I had such joy together. And I realized that for Finn, in that moment, he was on wild adventure that was spinning him around in joy, but he felt safe and secure because his father was with him, going down into that place with him. And when we begin to hide ourselves away in God and he calls us out on adventure, we can step out into it. And sometimes we may even skin our knee. We might find ourselves in difficult positions, but we know my father holds me and is with me. And so I can be spun around with adventure and challenge while being safe and secure with him. This is what God can deliver. The real sort of joy where the world will divide it and say you have to pick between one or the other plan for the future and stay secure, or go on adventure and experience your joy. And with God, he says, listen, in my character hidden away in me, I will give you real joy, the fullness of both. You no longer have to choose. 
Well, we come to this point saying if we hide away in God, if you hide away in God, making it personal and communal, feasting on Him, you will experience real joy, dizzying gladness and security. One final question is this. Why is it that God can deliver it? How? How can He possibly deliver all of this joy and all of this goodness? How with confidence can He say this to us? It's baked into the last few verses, and I want us to see these very clearly. Let's start by reading verse 10 together. It says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now this is an interesting statement on the lips of David. And interestingly, in Acts 2 and Acts 13, both Peter and Paul pick up on this interesting phrase. Because what David claims is this, God, you will not let my flesh see corruption. You will not abandon me to death. But Peter, standing at Pentecost, looks at the people and he says, let me tell you, I know where David's tomb is. He was buried and he decayed because he actually was abandoned to corruption and death. So what is he talking about? How is this true? And Peter in that moment said to those crowds, under the inspiration, the power of the Holy Spirit, listen to me now. David was speaking prophetically. He knew that a seed from his line was coming. A seed was coming that would conquer the grave that would not be abandoned to death and to corruption, and that would stand alive on the other side of death, saying, I can hold you, I can deliver dizzying joy and security no matter what life, no matter what life will bring, because I have conquered death, and that person, that king, is the son of David, the, the son of Jesse, the, the branch of Jesse, the, the great conquering king, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lived the life we were supposed to live and died the death we were supposed to die, but did not see corruption, conquered and rose again. The reason that David with confidence could say this is because he was peering by the Spirit's ability into the future, saying there's a day coming where we with confidence will be able to say, I have confidence in life even beyond the grave. Which incidentally, brothers and sisters, we have in Jesus. And what is it that flows out of that space? Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Jesus, this king who did not see corruption, is the path of life. And it says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Do you hear that? The final note that he strikes, it's amount and duration. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Full forever. Amount and duration. What he's saying is this, I, I'm, I'm daring you. Engage your imagination. How deep do you think it can go? How deep do you think the pleasures of God could go? Plumb the depths. Use your imagination. Listen, your imagination will falter long before God's power and creativity and goodness to deliver your joy. It goes deeper and richer and truer. And incidentally, it goes forever, eternal, lifetimes. We and the presence of God one day, because of what Jesus has accomplished, will be so secure and so dizzy in our joy forever 
that we will look back, that that future joy and glory will be so powerful and so profound that it will work retroactively back through our stories, that as we think back across the millennia towards the little short life that we had here on earth, we will see the way that the tidal waves of joy splash back down onto these shores, remaking them into what they were meant to be, that we will experience the fullness and forevermore of joy, which means that we as a people would be really, really wise today not to wait, but to hide ourselves away in God. To hide ourselves away in Him, to make it personal and communal and to feast on Him and to begin to experience real joy together. Tasting it like little eyedropper right now, eyedropper of His of his joy and his glory splashing down into our life, knowing that someday we will be set adrift in a beautiful, endless sea of pleasure and we will never find its shores. Brothers and sisters, hide yourself away in God and find real joy. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.